She wanted to be Barbie. Uh, you don't know Barbie? Okay. I'll talk. See me, at, see me after class. Um, I have three distinct memories. My first, the first one I remember was, uh, some of you guys don't know, you're too young, but uh, Elvis Presley was big back when I was really small. And I used to watch his movies, you know, and he would always have these cool cars and these really cool girls. And uh, so I wanted to be Elvis for a long time. I wanted to be Elvis. And then I got a little older. I got a little older, and there was a pro football player. His name was Lance Allworth, and he was from my hometown. And he played pro ball. He was all pro receiver, and he was really, you know, he, had, he was number 19. I mean, that's the coolest number. He was number 19. And uh, he was just, he had a lot of girls, too, and I wanted to be him. And then uh, the other thing I wanted to be was an astronaut. Um, but I was sharing with the morning congregation when I saw that they had the train on that thing that goes, way, goes around really fast, that centrifuge, what's, what's it called? I knew I couldn't do that because, you know, I would get sick. So I let go of that one. So uh, fast forward to my university days. The Elvis thing wasn't going to happen. Lance Allworth wasn't going to happen. I knew the astronaut thing wasn't going to happen. So that leaves me uh, really not knowing what I'm going to do. It leaves me hating my college roommate because he knew exactly what he wanted to do. He was one of those guys that knew from first grade on. How many of you are like that? Alonka knew. She knew from first grade. I mean, he knew, he knew early on that he wanted to be a, a dentist, an orthodontist. And uh, from first grade on, and that's what he is today. He's a very successful one back in my hometown. And uh, he, uh, he had his whole career planned out. Uh, I didn't have anything planned out. And I can remember when I went home at the end of my sophomore year, my dad, who was paying for most of my college education, he said, son, we need to do something about this non-existing, non-existent major. What are you going to major in? And I said, I don't know, Dad. And uh, he says, hey, Uncle Carl's a CPA. He makes a lot of money. Why don't you do that? I said, okay. So uh, I was a CPA. They don't get as many girls as Elvis. But, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's attainable, right? It's something that, that is attainable. So that's what I did for 20 years. That's what I did for 20 years. Um, and I, I put this question to young people. It's just a, kind of a personal project of mine. I will frequently ask young people, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? And there's one answer I've never heard ever. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Uh, let me just step back and ask it a different way. Imagine Jesus Christ. Imagine asking Jesus Christ what He wants you to be when you grow up. Have you ever thought about that? Asking the Lord Jesus. I was telling the morning congregation that I honestly believe it doesn't really matter what, you're, what you do for a living. His answer would be the same to every one of us. There would be an identical answer to each one of us. And I'm talking about, you know, really growing up. I'm not talking about, um, well, listen to how Paul said it. You may remember 1 Corinthians 13. Paul said, when I was a child, I used to speak as a child. I used to think as a child. I used to reason as a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. Let me ask you, friend. It doesn't really matter how old you are chronologically. Have you put away childish things? Is it your goal as a Christian to be mature in the Lord? Are you a mature man or a mature woman in the Lord Jesus? Are you still thinking like a child and prioritizing like a child and reasoning like a child? Or have you been giving your mind over to the Word of God 
and, being, and, and receiving His challenges. What would Jesus say? What would Jesus want you to be when you grow up? And I'm talking about really growing up. I'm not talking about just masquerading as a grown-up. The whole world is full of people masquerading as grown-ups, right? They've attained the age of majority, but they're still children in their hearts. They're still children in their minds. They don't really know why they're here. They don't know what they're supposed to do. What would Jesus say? There's, there's no doubt in my mind what He would say. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind what He would say. He says it no fewer than four times in the Gospels. Jesus would invite you to greatness. And that's what He's doing in that text that we had read tonight, that Luke read to us, that Matthew 20 text. Jesus would invite us to greatness. He says, Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. I, I spent a few minutes and I looked up this Greek word that's translated great in this Matthew text. And I love to do word studies. You can get lost in word studies, Greek word studies. You can spend hours and hours and hours and hours and never plumb the depth of the Greek language. But I really learned a lot. The word is megas. The word is megas. It means something like this. I went to a Greek lexicon. And what Jesus is saying if you want to become great, he's saying if you want to have a life, a life with mass, a life that's important, a life that uh, has weight and height and breadth and depth, a life, a life with, with power, a large life, a spacious life, I love these, these synonyms, a grand life, abundant life, mighty, virtuous, highly esteemed, and I love this last word, a splendid life. Don't you love that? Jesus says if you want to have a splendid life, a mighty life, a, a, a life with great import, you'll be a servant. That's the one thing I've never heard anyone say. I've never heard anyone say, when I grow up, I want to be a servant. But Jesus says, the greatest in the kingdom they will be the servant of the body of Christ. The servant. Jesus is calling us to greatness in this text. He's calling you and He's calling me to greatness in this text. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Verse 27, And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your what? Does anybody? What does your text say? Verse 27, shall be your slave. And I know that resonated in the first century. When Jesus says that in the first century, man, there's slaves everywhere. Everybody knows what that means. A slave will do anything he's told. He's completely obedient down to the, the most menial tasks. Everyone in the first century knew exactly what that meant. Maybe you and I have lost the power of that word, but Jesus says the greatest in the kingdom, the kingdom of God, they are servants and they are slaves. You know, some people, uh, sometimes they say, well, I, I want to serve God and that sounds laudable and, and virtuous and, and uh, high and lofty. And, and, but you know, I think sometimes we think that that means some glorious thing, some death-defying uh, mission that we're going to do for God. But you know what Jesus is calling us to in this text? He's calling us to pride-defying service. 
Now, some of us may be martyred. I doubt it. Any of us in here. But we know that there are martyrs in the Christian uh, world. We know this. This happens in the world. We understand that. But for us that live in the West, that's probably not going to happen. That's probably not going to happen. He's not calling us to, to, to that kind of thing, most likely. He's calling us to serve one another. Pride-defying. I love that. Pride-defying service to our brothers and sisters. You know, the most famous verse in the Bible. What's the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3.16. It's probably a verse that most of you have memorized. I thought it was interesting that the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, which talks about the love of God, uh, which obviously John wrote that gospel. John also wrote 1 John. And in 1 John 3.16, what do we find? We, f- we find what, what our love is supposed to look like. And our love is supposed to be a perfect reflection of what? The love of Jesus Christ. Right? 1 John 3.16 We know by this, we, pardon me, we know love by this, that Jesus Christ laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for who? Who, who do we lay our lives down for? We've talked about this over and over and over again. The brethren. Who are the brethren? The body of Christ. We're to lay down our lives. Are we going to be martyred? Probably not. What's he talking about? He's talking about laying our lives down and serving one another. Loving and serving one another. Now, you know, if you look at most of what is called the church today, and you look at most people who call themselves Christians, you would think, man, they must have never read... 1 John 3.16 Because I don't see anybody laying their life down for anybody else. Right? In, the, in the, what is called the modern church, you would think, man, somebody is, somebody's misplaced that verse in the Bible. And I've told you this before, and I'll, I'll say it to you again, that you know, much of what is called Christen, Christendom today is apostate. They no longer hold to this. They no longer hold to the Word of God as their final authority. They, they, many places, many denominations, many churches, so-called churches, uh, they pick and choose what they want to talk about, what they believe, what they reject. Listen, friends, when you start doing that, you cease to be a biblical church. You can still call yourself a church, but you're really not a church anymore. Once you reject, you're not a Christian church anymore. Once you begin to reject the Word of God. And it's sad to say that in many, many places... Uh, Christendom, the way it's supposed to be lived, the way Jesus calls us to live it, is no longer biblically recognizable. People are not loving each other. People are not serving one another. People are not laying their lives down for one another, friends. This is what God's called us to as Christians. It's like, you know, I I love what Wilbur Reese said. I love this quote. I just love this quote. Listen to what he says. He says, man, I just want $3 worth of God. And I thought when I read that, I thought, man... That's most of the professing church today. They just want a little piece of God. Listen to what he says. Man, I just want $3 worth of God. I don't want enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. Isn't that right? Isn't that right for most of uh, Christendom today? Don't disturb my sleep. Don't change my life. I just want three bucks worth of God. I don't want all of Him. Because I know He'll radically change my life, right? I love this quote. He says, uh, don't, don't give me enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. I don't want enough of Him to make me love my enemy. Let me ask you, friend, you, 
Do you want enough of, of God to, to learn how to love your enemy? And he goes on. He says, or to serve someone inferior to me. Listen, friend, are, are you willing to serve someone that you consider inferior to you? You should consider no one inferior to you. But if you do, Jesus says you're to serve that man or that woman. You're to serve that. He goes on. He's not finished yet. <laughs> he says, man, I just want a little ecstasy. I don't want to be changed. Isn't this most of Christendom today in the modern church? Maybe your experience is different than mine. But I see this is so true in my Christian experience. He goes on, I just want the warmth of the womb. I don't want the new birth. That's too hard. I just want the warmth of the womb. He says, wrap me up a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I just want three bucks worth of God. Man, I think that is so true of most of the modern church. It's like most people who profess to be Christians, they don't really want that radical, selfless, sacrificial, born-again life. Which is really what Christianity is. Everything else is just uh, fake. Jesus calls us to an extravagantly changed life. And many, many in the church, they just want three bucks. You know, maybe a little fire insurance if I can, you know, try to, try, try to have a little insurance, try to make sure I don't go to hell. Just have a manageable spiritual fix on Sunday. Just relieve my conscience. Just have a little religious pomp and ceremony. I just want three bucks worth of God. I just think that's a great quote. It's sad that much of the church is like that. But I think it's, it's tragically true. So let me ask you, Christian friend, how much of God do you want? Do you want to stay in that nice warm womb? Or are you ready, to, you ready for the born again life? You know, the life uh, full of urgency and risk and exertion for the cause of Jesus Christ. It's like those guys in Matthew 13. I talk about them all the time. You know the guy that found the treasure in the field and the guy that found the pearl of great price? Did they offer three bucks? So I'll give you three bucks. You know, that's just, that's just symbolic language for the value of Jesus. How valuable was Jesus to them? How valuable was Jesus to them? They sold everything that they might possess the treasure of Jesus Christ. And friends, if you've really met Him, that's how you feel too. And you know what I'm talking about. If you've really encountered Christ, you don't want just three bucks. You want the whole thing. You want the whole deal. You want the whole born again thing. You're not going to ever settle for anything less than all of Jesus Christ because He's awesome and He's worthy. I like the way Nick opened our, uh, the prayer time there. It's, he's, he, he's awesome and He's worthy. I like how C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says, Jesus claims everything about us because He loves us. And because He loves us, He must bless us. And if we try to keep within us an area that is all our own, uh, it is an area of death. You know, everything you're not surrendering to Jesus Christ is, a, is, is, a, is a, a piece of death that you're hanging on to. I think that's very vivid. I think that's a very vivid truth. He says, therefore in love He claims all. And I love what he says. C.S. Lewis says, and there's no bargaining with Him about this. You know, it's, all, it's, it's either all or nothing with Jesus Christ. It's, it, you, you can't stand in the middle. You can't just be religious. You know, you can't just perform in a religious way. You're either in love with Him and you're giving your life away to Him or you don't know Him at all. 
You know, if you're one of those $3 guys, I, have to, I just want to warn you tonight, if, 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 if you're happy with $3 worth of God, you haven't met Him yet. You haven't met Him yet. Because if you've met Him, you'd want everything He has to offer. Every single thing. He's an awesome and beautiful God. There's no bargaining with God, C.S. Lewis says. It's, it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. And this is what Jesus is calling us to in this text. If you want to be great in the kingdom, man, you've got to be a servant. You've got to be a servant and a slave. And Jesus says, in, uh, pardon me, John says in the Gospel of 1 John that we're to lay our lives down for one another. What's He talking about? Is He talking about dying for one another? Well, in one sense, yes, because He's talking about dying to yourself. Right? We're called to die to ourself, our, our innate, inborn, instinctive selfishness, the 24-7 default mindset that almost every one of us in this room will have, which is, it's all about me every single day. I think if you're human, you'd have to admit that we all struggle with that mindset. It's all about me every single day, 24-7. And Jesus is calling us out of that. So in one sense, Jesus is calling us to die, not necessarily for one another. That could happen. It's not probably not going to happen here in the West. But to ourselves, die to ourselves. He's not calling us to die for each other so much as He's calling us to live for each other. That's, that's the message, to live for each other. To lay your life down for each other. To live for each other. As you love and serve one another. That's what He's calling us to. Okay, A life of love and service in the body. See, as Lewis is right, there's no bargaining with Him about this. It's all, it's all or nothing. Look at what verse 28 says. Jesus says, that's the way it was with me when I walked the earth as a man. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He's our model. And to give His life a ransom for many. He's our model. He did not come to be served, but to serve. You remember the context here when Jesus speaks these words about greatness in the kingdom. You remember the Zebedee boys, James and John, had come to, they got their mom and they came to Jesus. They got their mom to ask Jesus for the most favored place in the kingdom, to sit on his left and his right in the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> get, get their mom to come ask the Lord that they might sit on his left and his right. Jesus, Jesus says in verse 25, he said, Hey, it's not like that in my kingdom. He says, it's not like the Gentiles who lord it over one another and their great men exercise authority over one another. He says, my kids serve one another. This is the mark of greatness in the kingdom. You know, I told the morning congregation, I observe many Christians' lives and I just think, man, they have no clue about being great in the kingdom. Apparently they have no desire to be great in the kingdom because they're not serving anyone. Friends, you're called to serve. That's... Part and parcel of being a Christian. We're called to serve one another and to love one another. Does, do, do the words of Christ mean anything to you? Do you want to be great in the kingdom? Then serve one another. Be a servant in this body and in the next body that you go to. Be a servant. Serve God's people. So what the word, these are the words of Jesus. So what Jesus has called us to and, and you heard the text read, Philippians 2, that great text. I'm just going to read it again. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Uh, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Jesus Christ, 
who although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Friends, God became a man and God was nailed to a tree. Can you imagine the condescension there? Let me ask you, have you ever condescended at all to serve anybody? Jesus Christ is our model, Christian friend. And He's calling us to learn how to serve like this. To condescend. To condescend. To serve the brethren. Listen, if you want to be great in the kingdom, that's what Jesus says, then you'll be a servant. Oh, you'll be a slave. This is the Word of the Son of God. He's calling us to greatness tonight. And you'll find it in humility. You'll find it in selflessness. You'll find it in obedient servant. You know, I've had some people say, you may have heard this too, and I want to debunk this if I can. You know, some people act like it's an insult to their spirituality that, that they're motivated by reward. Listen, friend, the Bible is full of God's promise of reward. And that's just piety and religion run amok when people say, oh, I don't, I don't need the reward. I'm not interested in the reward. Jesus is enough. Well, let me say to you, Jesus is enough. But listen, God has given us these promises of reward for a reason. He means for you to get excited about it and to build your life around them. Listen, go read Hebrews chapter 11. Go read Hebrews chapter 11, that hall of fame of faith. Those men and women live those extraordinary lives of faith because the promises of God were real to them. And they pursued the celestial city. They pursued that other country. They pursued uh, their future with God and the promises of God. Listen, friends, we're supposed to be excited about the promised rewards of God. We're supposed to live like we believe what He says. We're supposed to live in such a way that, man, we're pursuing greatness in the kingdom. Let me ask you, are you pursuing greatness in the kingdom? Is this something you think about when you get up on Monday morning? Hey, I'm going to pursue greatness in the kingdom today. And you know how that's going to happen. I don't have to say it. You tell me. How's that going to happen? Be a servant. That's how that happens. To serve your brother and your sister. You know, Paul understood this. Paul had this, this balance, this perfect balance in his life. He understood humility, but he was pursuing greatness in the kingdom. And this is the message I'm preaching to you tonight. You're to be humble. You're to be a, be a humble slave in the kingdom. But in being that, you are great in the kingdom. And Paul held this in, in perfect balance in his life. Almost without exception, every letter he wrote in the New Testament, he refers to himself as the greatest apostle who ever lived. Is that how Paul referred to himself? How did Paul refer to himself? I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And there's this great word, this great Greek word he uses about himself in 1 Corinthians 4.1, it's the word that was used uh, for a, a galley slave in the hull of a ship. Way down, uh, way down as far as you can go, down in the darkest part of the ship, the guy that's chained to a post. And all he does all day is row. And, and Paul says, that's how it is with me in Christ. He says, man, I'm just serving him. I'm the lowliest servant there is. I'm like that, that, that guy down in the third galley of the hull of the ship. 
I'm just an under rower for Jesus Christ. He understood about humility, but he was pursuing greatness. 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, These momentary light afflictions are producing for me what? What did they produce for him? An eternal weight of glory. Paul was looking at the reward. Friends, if you're not looking at the reward, you've been deceived. You are supposed to be looking at the reward. And it's supposed to motivate you. Go read Hebrews 11. The greatest men and women in all the Bible who lived these extraordinary lives of faith, the the promised reward motivated them. It's supposed to motivate you. And Paul was highly motivated by this. He says, I don't look at the things which are seen, but I look at things that are unseen. Colossians 3, 2. He says, I set my mind on the things above, not the things of the earth. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. And he says, you know, I run in such a way to win. He says, I want to win at this. He's humble. He's humble, but he's seeking greatness in the kingdom. And they're really synonymous. They're the same thing. To be a humble servant, to be a humble slave. When, when you, when you be, when, as you are becoming that, you are becoming great in the kingdom of God. I think this is an awesome, awesome thing. Friends, there's not one of us in this room that can't be great in the kingdom of God. You know what? It's up to you. You could be the greatest man... Uh, You could be the greatest man or woman in this room in the kingdom of God. It's all up to you. When you get up in the morning, you're a servant. Just be a servant. God loves it. God loves it when His people... When His people serve. And Jesus said it over and over again. Let me just give you the four times He says it in the Gospel other than this one. Matthew 23, 11 and 12. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. There's the promised reward. We humble ourselves now, but we shall be exalted by our Father. Mark 9, 35. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and be servant of all. Mark 10, 43. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Luke twenty two twenty six. Let him who is greatest among you become as the youngest and let the leader be as a servant. You know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Matthew 26, remember? Jesus says, when you do it to the least of my brothers, what? You did it to me. Let me this is awesome. Let me tell you. Anytime you serve anybody in the body of Christ, you're doing it to Jesus. I don't understand why we don't take this serious. I don't understand. I don't under, This is huge. This is so huge. You do it to Jesus. And you're rewarded for it. And you become great in the kingdom. Why aren't we the best servants in the world? Somewhere along the line, Christianity is lost. Touch with this truth, I fear. In Matthew 10.42, Jesus says, Hey, if you just give a cup of cold water to somebody, that's worthy of a reward from the king. <laughs> just a cup of cold... God sees it. And as I said, God loves it. And God will reward it. Friends, it's simple to be great in the kingdom. You don't have to go to seminary. <laughs> Probably be best if you don't. <laughs> Most seminaries are bad. Um, uh, you don't have to go to seminary. You just need to serve your wife. You just need to serve your husband. You just need to serve your children. You just need to serve your neighbor. You just need to serve your brother and sister in Christ. You just need to be a servant. And you will be great in the kingdom of God. I tell you, this captures my imagination. (laughs) Every single day of your life, 
you can become greater and greater and greater and greater in, this, in, the, in the kingdom of God. It's just service. It's simple service to our brothers and sisters in Christ. I love this. Humble service in the body. Humble service in the body is rewarded by God. Okay, just very briefly. We, this is our last sermon in this series of loving and serving the, the body. We started in Romans 11, remember? <clears throat> and, and, and if we're really going to love and serve like this, it starts with God. We've got to have a real relationship with God. We can't, we can't love and serve like Jesus is calling us to love and serve if, if it's not real. And God must be our fuel. Jesus Christ must be our fuel. The second thing we saw was that if we've really encountered Christ, you know, we're going to lay our lives down uh, for God. We're going we're to give ourselves away to Jesus Christ and to the body of Christ. That's Romans 12. One, Romans 12, 2, we, we no longer seek conformity with the world, but we seek conformity with Christ. And we are transformed by the power of His Spirit and by the power of His Word. Uh, Romans 12, 3, we have learned humility from God, and as we study His Word, we continue to be humbled before Him. Uh, Romans 12, 4 and 5, we understand that we are members of a body. We are interdependent. We are uh, interrelated. We are interconnected. We need each other. I need you and you need me. I, this is just the way the, the body of Christ is put together. I need you to, to be in this body and provide your function in this body. The next thing we looked at was that we're all gifted and we're supposed to be using our gifts in the body. I need you to use your gift in the body and you need me to use my gift in the body. And your gift is indispensable in this body. It's not dispensable. I need it. Everyone in this room needs for you to, to use your gift in this church. And the last thing we talked about last week, verse 9 and 10 of Romans 12, is that uh, our first and last obligation to every brother and sister in Christ is agape love. Courageous, expensive, agape love. And all of that adds up to what I'm talking about tonight. You add all that up. And Jesus said, you're ready to be great in the kingdom. (laughs) You're ready. Serve one another. Be a slave to one another. I love it. God's calling us to greatness. He's calling us to greatness in the kingdom. Okay. I don't know what happened to the surveys. Adam has them. Okay. Um, I know we've never done this before, but we've got a servant survey for you. And it's just something I want you to to take and take it home and uh, think about it, pray about it. Um, I'll be sending it out on the email. Um, but I want, I'm so fired up about this concept. I want, I want to give you the opportunity to be great in this body and to be great in the kingdom of God. And so I'm gonna, we're taking this survey to see how God might could use you here, how we might be able to use your gift, how we might be able to use your life experiences in this place, that you might become greater in the kingdom. I guess that's it. It'll come out on the email. Okay, it'll come out on the email this week. Um, And I heard Richard Blackaby. How many of you know who Richard Blackaby is? Great preacher in Canada. I heard him talk about this uh, this last summer at Interlochen. And I'm going to share some real life examples of people who caught this uh, vision about using their gift in the church and serving one another in the body and this whole concept of being great in the body. 
I'm just going to give you three real life examples. Okay, this really happened in a church. You're going to love this. I love this. He gave three real life examples. You know, he challenged his church. He said, hey, I want you to decide what you can put on the altar for God, what you'll give to God to serve this body and to be great in the kingdom. The first, uh, the first real life example was this guy. He owned a car. And he put his car on the altar. Uh, you say, well, that's kind of weird. Yeah, it's, it's a little weird. But this guy, he was retired. He'd saved up a bunch of money and he bought this real expensive car. Okay, and he was, getting a little, he was a little convicted about spending so much money on this car. And he thought to myself, hey, I can put this car on the altar for God. And you know what this guy became? He became the, the uh, uh, transportation man in the church. If somebody needed a ride... They called him. And he would take uh, uh, elderly people to the, to the hospital or to the doctor. He would pick people up at the airport that needed a ride, people whose car was broken down. He would go take them to work. This was his ministry. He served. Let me tell you, <laughs> he was becoming great in the kingdom of God. Isn't that an awesome story? There's another one he, get, he told. It was a guy, he, he was... He was avid. He was passionate about water skiing. How many of you have water skied before? Okay. He was passionate about water skiing. You know, he had a nice boat and everything. And his pastor challenged him. He said, hey, why don't you use, why don't you use that passion? Uh, put that on the altar for God and see what God will do with it. He says, well, what could God ever do with that? Well, guess what happened? Uh, he became the hit at the summer youth camp. And he would bring his boat to the, to the lake and, and they, would, they would have the youth camp at a lake, and, and he would teach the kids how to ski. And a lot of these kids were inner city kids, and they never skied before. And these kids loved him, and they loved skiing. And guess what else happened? He fell in love with these kids. And this is what happens when you serve. You fall in love with the people you're serving, right? And he became, uh, he ended up becoming the youth leader in that church, ultimately, because he offered his boat and his passion for skiing to the Lord. <laughs> You're going to love this last one. You're going to think I'm making it up, but I'm not. This last, this last one, this lady put her cat on the altar for God. Her cat, that's right. You heard me right. Put her, put her cat on the altar. And the pastors, you know, the, the staff were thinking, well, what are we going to do with this cat, you know? What are we going to do with this cat? Well, you know what happened? You know what happened? Uh, yeah, tell us, tell us. You know what happened? No, what? Now that I've got you on the edge of your seat, I'm not going to tell you. No. You know what happened? You know what she started doing with that cat? She started taking that cat to the hospital when children were in the hospital. And you, you've probably seen medical studies about this. And she started taking that cat to the hospital. And she'd visit these children. Well, some other people in the church got real excited about this. And, and, uh, so they wanted to take their pet along too. And so they ultimately had a whole ministry where they were, they were visiting orphanages in that whole region. And they were taking their pets uh, to visit these orphanages so these children could uh, spend time with these pets. What an awesome thing. Man, I don't know what you've got that you could put on the altar for God. But let me tell you, if you put it on, on the altar, He'll use it. He'll use it. Even if it's a cat, He'll use it. And let me say, there's a, there's a section on here about life experiences. And I think it's very, very important. This is something that you might be able to share. 
You know, some of us have been through some hard life experiences. And what I want to say to you, if you decide to respond, if you feel led to respond in that area, uh, your response will be kept confidential. Only Karen and I will know. And, uh, but if someone else comes up in the body and has had this same difficulty, and you can come alongside and help them and mentor them, then that would be a valuable thing. You know, things like abortion, abuse, depression, addictions, divorce, or death of a loved one. These are life experiences that we can, we can, uh, we can uh, uh, use to encourage someone who's going through that same difficulty. Because you've come through it with God. And God can use your experience to help someone else. So friends, what I want to say to you is what I always say to you. God has not brought you here to be a spectator. God has brought you here to uh, be a servant. He's brought you here to give. He's brought you here to make you great in the body. And to do that, you need to become a servant. Jesus says, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. So Jesus is calling you to greatness in the kingdom of God. And that's what I'm calling you to tonight. As your pastor, I'm calling you to greatness in this body and in the kingdom of God. I'm calling you to a magus life, a weighty life, a life with mass, a life with import, a life with depth and breadth and height, a, a mighty life, a virtuous life. Oh, a splendid life. As Jesus says. And I want to close with Galatians 6. Galatians 6. 7 through 10. Listen to this. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall reap to the flesh, uh, shall reap the flesh, uh, excuse me, shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let, listen to this, verse 9. Chapter 6 of Galatians. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. Friends, don't grow weary in doing good. Listen, one thing I forgot to tell the morning congregation that I want to make sure you... Sometimes you're going to serve somebody and they're going to kick you in the teeth. Some of you have had this experience. I've had this experience. Listen, that's not my concern if I get kicked in the teeth or not. That is not my concern. My concern is to serve that brother or to serve that sister. I'll let, I'll let God take care of the rest. Listen, sometimes you're going to get kicked in the teeth. And what I want to say to you is, if you get kicked in the teeth, hey, just get right back up and keep serving. That's what brings glory to Jesus Christ. Okay? But he says, hey, don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. For we will reap if we do not grow weary. Verse 10, So then, while we have opportunity, let us... Uh, do good to all men and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, what an awesome, awesome, awesome text. <laughs> You're inviting us uh, into greatness. It's something everyone in this room can do. We don't have to have any special skills, any special talent, any extraordinary gifts. All we have to have is a willing heart to love your people, 
and to serve Your people. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for this great and high call. Thank You for modeling this for us. Your infinite condescension is just a pattern for us that we too may condescend. That we, we too may uh, get our hands dirty serving each other, loving each other, caring for one another. Lord, help us to be that kind of church, I pray. I pray that this series has honored Your Word and it has honored You. We thank You that You've called us to love and serve. What a beautiful thing. Lord, help us to, to be men and women who are serious about this. We're serious about being great in the kingdom. This is not just Bible teaching. This is not just religious junk. This is the way we're supposed to live our lives. We're supposed to be serious about being great in the kingdom. You've promised reward that we might, that we might look forward to them. That we might be diligent in your body as we love and serve each other. Lord God, help us, I pray. Give us that right heart, that right mind. Help us to break that 24-7 self-absorption thing that most of us struggle with. Help us, great God, to be great servants. As our servant king was a servant, may we too be a great servant. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table. Adam's going to sing a song or play a song. Uh, for those of you who are new to us, we have open communion here. Everyone who has uh, professed Christ as Lord and Savior and followed Him in, in baptism is welcome to participate in communion. Um, Adam will play. As he plays, prepare your heart. And then during the, uh, the, the music, come on up and, and take the bread, take the cup, go back to your seat. And uh, when the song ends, I'll read a scripture and then we will partake of the elements at that time. Okay? Everybody understand? Okay. Thank <laughs> you.